The Irish are a nation of storytellers. Our stories are embedded in us and in our landscape. Welcome to Tales and Trails podcast in partnership with Discover Ireland, a brand new and immersive audio experience that invites you to walk the Irish countryside with us. Today I'll be joined by top chef JP McMahon. His love of food is intimately connected with his love of nature and sustainability, and he has an incredible story to tell. JP and I will take on the Bothy Loop in Wild Neff and Ballycroy National Park, Letterkeen, Mayo. The third largest of Ireland's six national parks, this is the place to escape to when it's time to truly go off grid and get back to nature. This hidden gem is one of the most untouched landscapes in the country, perfect for those who love exploration and are craving a peaceful getaway. Boasting the own Duff Neff and Bay complex, the stunning Sleeve Car, Ireland's most remote mountain, and some utterly exceptional wildlife, this national park on the Wild Atlantic Way should be on everyone's walking bucket list. This six kilometre loop we're taking today takes around one and a half hours to complete. We are going to pass some points of interest which include Neffenbeg Mountain Range, the view of Sleeve Car and the Altaconi River. The predominant habitat is the active Atlantic blanket bog, which covers much of the park area so make sure you have your hiking boots for this walk as it's naturally damp in places. Also, keep an eye out for wildlife such as the fox, badger, mountain hare, otter and many more who all call the place home. Make sure to visit the Tales and Trails hub on loveon.ie to plan your walking break in Mayo where we've highlighted all the best accommodation, restaurants, and things to do in the area. I met JP at the trailhead where we prepared to set off on our walk. You are a Michelin star chef. That is true. Is this something that you always dreamed of? Oh, not at all. Uh, completely, uh, um, I suppose the restaurant winning a star came completely out of the blue. Uh, it wasn't something we, I suppose, opened up and set up to do. I mean, we opened up a restaurant to look into the food of the west of Ireland and I suppose and investigate that and uh, then uh, 14 months later the restaurant won a star and yeah I mean it's been it's been up and down since that I mean it was kind of bedlam for a year uh, kind of dealing with kind of uh, I suppose how to deal with uh, with winning it and the pressures of that it's I suppose it's, it's an international award so you get a lot of international customers and international recognition so um, you have to live up to that but I suppose it's seven years now and I suppose the pressure still never really goes away um, I had the Michelin inspector in there a while ago and uh, yeah all was fine and I mean they come in once a year uh, they try to be as anonymous as they can but they kind of usually stick out sitting by themselves like they're not wrapped up in tires or anything but uh, <laughs> um but yeah so having a chat to him and all seems all seems good and that but i suppose i mean the from the outside it kind of seems like the the pinnacle of of everything but those people uh, forget that it's uh, usually mission star dining is you've got a lot more staff for a lot less people and like our tapas bar cava like has half the amount of chefs or at least one and a half less and um my feet uh like 400 people on a Saturday, you know, and uh, Mission Star One would feed at max 36. So it is a labour of love, and uh, I'm glad that we can do it. It's fine looking gorse there. Um, so, you're, so it's come from the passion, really. The Mission Star wasn't like your goal to get to. No, the goal was always just food, you know. And I suppose with any with any award and with the like, I suppose the Mission Star is like a. It's a bit like the leaving cert, you know, because <laughs> okay, like do, you, when do you're, describe. yeah, when you're doing it, you think it's the only thing that matters, and then you realise that you go to college, and then you do your degree, and you think, oh my god, this is the only thing that matters, and then you got a master's, and then you got a PhD, and then you, this is the only thing that matters, and then you got to do a book, and every stage kind of produces more. So you get a Michelin star, and then you realise, oh, we're not on the world's hundred best list. Why aren't we on that? This is and constantly something. Yeah, to so you kind of have to try and 
balance out and see what you're what you're capable of but i suppose we're always trying to push on and always develop what we have and um trying to refine the restaurant to i mean possibly can we to see can we get two michelin stars is that possible and it requires more resources um and uh or can we get uh can we get the restaurant on the on the world's 100 best list and that and i suppose that's that takes a lot of time it's almost like diplomatic missions, traveling around, meeting people, and uh, getting them to know what you're doing. And uh, you said in the air, like it might only feel like a couple of people a night or whatever, and you have a lot more staff. So is it a struggle to keep that like a flow? Like, yeah, absolutely. It has absolutely. this glorious name, and everyone's gonna be like, "That must rake in loads of money." But no, it's funny no, the, the restaurant runs at a loss every year, and Jeez. the mitigating thing is ha- like a good loss and a bad loss. <laughs> so Go ahead, uh, get yourself over this. Yeah. Stepping stones. Um. So it's it's probably the biggest struggle out of all your. Oh, 100%, project. yeah. I mean, it's, and it takes the most amount of effort to run, even though in the, in the off-peak season, you might do 10 people a night or you might even do less. And um, It's really the summer. I mean, 80% of our customers are, are American, um, maybe 70, 75. But uh, I'd say we have uh, like between 2 and 3% pop, local population and the rest is... Uh, you got Dublin, and then you got uh, European, and then you're, you've got mostly Americans. What's the reason for that? I think that they're looking for a, a kind of taste of Ireland, and they're looking for what I suppose new Irish cuisine uh, tastes like. And they're they're coming to Ireland to, I mean, they're always travelling to Ireland. They're coming to Ireland. They're they're driving. They're probably flying into Dublin or Shannon. Sometimes they're driving down to Waterford, Cork, going up through Kerry, checking out the cliffs of Moher, and then the last thing they're they're kind of doing is is coming into us to kind of get a taste of that of that landscape sometimes they're just they're just touring Connemara but they're always coming to as, as I say they're always coming to experience the, the place and then get a kind of taste of that landscape get a taste for it as well you mentioned uh, Cav- Cava Bodega yeah Cava Bodega uh, you opened that at a kind of an unfortunate <laughs> yeah, time yeah bad time to open a restaurant so I suppose there's never a good time to open a restaurant let that be said <laughs> okay fair um, enough 2008 Born, yeah 2000, well, it was open in 2007 was it well we signed the lease in 2007 oh, and yeah. uh, thought like this is it we're going to make a million a million dollars <laughs> and um, so 2008 came along May I don't know when the crash was. It was probably that summer, or yeah. if not beforehand. And yeah, everyone went kind of um, to the wall, and it was a big. It was a struggle for the first, um, definitely for the first two years. I mean, we literally did everything: catered, uh, holy communions, confirmations. Like sometimes we were doing four four catering gigs, and the restaurant would open uh, ten o'clock, and then finish. The restaurant would be open for about fourteen hours, and Jesus. feeding people to pay the rent. And I suppose on the outside it looked busy. Um, but on the inside, like it just wasn't sustainable to keep on going like that. So after five years, we kind of uh, we walked away from it, and um, like we broke our lease, and we just said we couldn't do it anymore. So we had to take the chance because I suppose when we signed up, we were very young and naive in the sense that like signing away a personal guarantee kind of didn't mean much because you just imagine you don't have anything. But then you don't when they have much, you go yeah. Against. But then when they <laughs> take your car, <laughs> then they go. It becomes sure. very real. Yeah, very it does. Quickly. Like you know and. Uh, they couldn't take the house, thankfully. But I mean, every, people people have experienced that, and uh, I think like for us, Cava was our bad mortgage, you know. And I think everyone did did something either coming up to the recession or or uh, just before it that um, it affected them. Yeah, that affected them. Way. Yeah, and then people were spending less, and uh, and maybe that's why people, I suppose, came into Cava. Um, it'll taste of Spain with small plates, and I mean, people have always enjoyed it, and it's definitely of the three restaurants. It is our most popular, um, 
And still to this day? Still to this day, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And particularly with the particularly with the ladies. I mean, I don't don't ask. I think it's because they like talking and eating. <laughs> and I mean men are getting better, they're usually just silent eaters. Get it all like stuffed their yeah, face. Yeah, and get definitely out. if you if you want to look at stereotypes of the Irish man, they just like eat and leave. Like my father was just like eat as quickly as possible and get back to work. Uh, whereas yeah, I mean lots of uh, lots of women would come in and uh, I suppose socialising, we've become really We've become a lot better at socially eating because particularly when I was growing up, I mean, uh, like there was, you, no one really went out. It was like occasions and then people would go to the pub and that, but there wasn't really uh, anything to write home about. And if you, if you suggested going for a meal, like people would think there's something wrong with you. you were, um, was that something you were trying to introduce as well with Kava was like, to make food an experience the whole night out get people talking yeah, sharing the food definitely because I mean food I mean for me food and wine I mean I just I, I, I love the two of them and from travelling to Spain over the years I just love that that no matter what time of the day it was if it was the morning like lunch if it was two o'clock at night you could meet up with people and eat and sit down and that and I felt like we had the pub culture, which I loved as well, because you've got great crack and hospitality. But at the same time, when all that's over, like all you got is a bag of chips and <laughs> on the way home, and it was like, what? Can we not do more than that? And uh, so that's what we wanted to bring—that um, kind of sense of sharing and community. Now, people, Irish people, aren't the best at sharing, so it took about two years to teach them how to share tapas <laughs> and that that it wasn't theirs because they'd be ordering stuff going where's mine and you go I want my meal I want my one why don't is, touch it why is my pork belly over there <laughs> and you're going because you're sharing it's like I'm not sharing I don't it. get this I don't get the concept yeah here. so the concept of sharing but I mean people 10 years on I mean people really love it and uh, it's um, it's uh, I suppose for me if someone was to ask me what they, if they were opening opening up a restaurant ask for advice I mean I'd, that I'd give them a model of cava because you can do really good food we're engaged with all the different farmers and in the same way we are with an ear i mean an ear it might look like um it's more at the forefront the kind of uh, the ethical and the uh, the local but it's all there in cava it's just kind of packaged in a different way but you're feeding people and you've got volume and that's probably what you need when you uh when you open up a restaurant yeah and it's gone well for you so far anyway. it's still yeah, it's still it's rocking still, it's still there and uh we're uh yeah, it keeps everything like Cava's like the mothership. Cava keeps everything else going. Uh, like it, it funds the symposium we run as well, Food on the Edge. I mean, bringing chefs to uh, international chefs to Ireland and to show them Ireland and also to show them what we're doing food wise and also the hospitality and the crack and the music. And I mean, that aspect uh, people, um, people love. I'm always surprised uh, the kind of unconscious PR that Ireland has that we just don't tap into you know when you say to invite three mission star chefs or like some of the world's best chefs and you say ireland they go god that's that's a lovely place i haven't yeah. been though <laughs> yeah. i haven't been but i love the sound of it yeah i love the sound of it and uh and then they come over and then that's the way you get into kind of showing them different so shellfish or oysters or that's like you, you, if you if you said to them you need to come over and taste irish food they'd be like nah you're all right oh, uh, fine, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll head to spain or something <laughs> uh, What's, but then what, what when can they, you offer me really but when they get down here then they realise there's so much more uh, uh, to it, and like we bring them on a two-day excursion. Like last year, we brought them down kind of Clare and Limerick. The year before, we took them into Connemara. So just different, uh, different stuff, and um, no, they really, they really love it. It's great to see. Uh, tapping into your like personal life a little bit, like there's a big stigma around chefs and like anti-social working hours and 
Like, like, what's your lifestyle like? Is, is ah, like, I, I suppose I'm, I'm a workaholic, so that doesn't, uh, I, I feed right into that, uh, <laughs> drop the kids off at nine and stay at work till midnight. Um, so you actually enjoy nearly the anti-social, not yeah, like the anti-social, but you enjoy I suppose a lot of chefs go into it because, because yeah, I mean, they're not into, uh, like, a, they were not into kind of the parties on the weekends or that. I mean, you do have to, I suppose, work Fridays, pretty much Fridays and Saturdays, which is when everyone else is kind of, uh, partying away or off and that but I suppose you get a buzz out of uh, out, of, out of feeding people um, I think it has changed a little bit I think there's probably there's probably more on offer for chefs now who uh, if they didn't want to work Friday or Saturday and they only wanted to work um, like Monday to Friday there are loads of positions for uh, that's that's an option now yeah so which probably wasn't in the last 15-20 years is it do you find it lonely uh, I suppose I mean it's not that I have to think about the question. Like, yeah, it is. It is. It is, and it isn't. I mean, I suppose the team that you work with, or the the, the crew that we that we have across the restaurants, you're engaging with them every day, and you, you kind of like. Uh, it's kind of like a bit of a family, you know. And uh, we have uh, about 45 staff now, and so that is the kind of community that you uh, that you that you that you make. But it is. I mean. I mean, chefing does lead into because it's like it's like an extreme sport, you know, and so it does lead towards kind of addictive addictive behaviour, and that's why you have problems with drink and drugs and that in the industry because I suppose you're you're working towards this monumental rush on a Friday or Saturday, and then it's gone, and then you've nothing to do until the next one, and that kind of that can feed into uh, a normal in, yeah lifestyle. You're kind of constantly chasing it, are you? Absolutely. So yeah, you could you're looking looking for the rush, and that is the. I think that probably was the case when I, I was in my 20s. Like, I'm 40 now, so I'm getting a bit old to party. But, uh, and I do find myself, I mean, I've got two, two kids now, two girls, seven and 10. So I probably don't work as many nights as I, as I did. Because you've got to make compromises yeah, along the way. And I suppose tr- the transition from being a chef to a restaurateur is still something that, I, that I'm trying to work out. Because running three restaurants and, and still trying to be the chef and, uh, and have a family and have a family <laughs> and then also trying to make sure that like the lights in the toilets working like that's the difference when i suppose people like they You're people a, want they want to be a chef and then they go no no now i want to be a restaurateur and uh and that's that's another thing that i suppose um that people forget that yeah it like it happens very quickly and the minute you open a restaurant all of a sudden you can't be at the stove anymore because you have yeah, to like the lights the and what, what happens if the reservation system crashes and like there's just so many variables that it's really, really hard to uh, just stay at the stove. That's probably, it's probably the thing I, I love the most is just cooking. Um, and that's probably what I started out from, but I suppose when you have a, a personality that wants to keep on challenging and, and trying out new things, you keep on moving on. But it's probably something that younger chefs or younger people in the industry should, uh, should keep in mind because I suppose now the pace of life is so fast that people want stuff and even my young chefs in their 20s they're like I want to open a place by the time I'm 30 and I want to do this and like it is they're really rushing it yeah and it all becomes about money and it becomes about looking for backers and investments and and then like there's a high percentage of restaurants fail and there's a reason for that and like when we opened Cava in 2008 I mean we we self-funded it got loans from the family and everything and uh, the bank wouldn't uh, wouldn't give us anything and I suppose it's because there's just such a high failure rate. And that's not only with 
casual dining restaurants, I mean, the failure rate is probably even higher in the, um, in the fine dining world because like, no more than an ear, uh, like because most of our customers are American, like there's so many variables that can happen. Like if a single thing happens with American foreign policy and the Americans decide to stop coming to Ireland or if there was foot and mouth one year or then with, I think Brexit slightly affected the kind of British uh, population coming over just because they're, they're, they're just not sure and they're going, well, yeah, we yeah, just hang on, we won't go this year. And uh, Does that you, make, you yeah, you can definitely impact on that. You definitely feel that through the spring when we just haven't had as many people from the UK over. And talking to some of the chefs over there, like Nate Nowlaw has said that a lot of them are um, are staying staying at home or traveling internally. And I suppose there is that kind of like the uh, uh, revival of nationalism, you know, where they're saying, "Oh, we need to support our own." And I mean, we're at it as well. So, uh, do you reckon we're supporting our own? I, I suppose yes and no. I mean, in the case of Anir. I think we're, we're the Irish probably run a million miles from it, but I think that's I think one of the reasons for that is because I suppose as a as a population we're kind of I think we're geared towards the exotic. Uh, we do want that sunshine, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, we don't uh, really. uh, Italian food and Spanish food appeals to so many people really well. because and I, like I started in Italian food and uh, we opened Cav, and it's still something I I mean. I uh, I love like when you have a, a really good pizza or really good pasta. It's just yeah, it just gives a, it brings a little sunshine we to love you. The, as you said, we love the exotic. Everyone loves short breaks, but to really experience a place, you have to get out there. A walk helps you clear your head and truly connect with where you are. Whether you're wandering, rambling, or hiking, walking makes your break. Make sure to visit the Tales and Trails Hub in partnership with Discover Ireland on Loveland.ie where you'll find inspiration for your next short break in Ireland. By night, Wild Neff and Ballycroy National Park invite you to look skyward. Ireland's first international dark sky park, you'll see some of the darkest, most pristine skies worldwide. On a clear night here, you can see over 4,500 shining stars with the naked eye, not to mention a host of planets, the Milky Way, and meteor showers too. The park boasts three signature dark sky viewing points, each with gold tier status. An exceptional way to appreciate this area's epic beauty and our tiny place in a vast solar system, an evening spent stargazing here is one you'll never forget. You need the yin and the yang when you're, when you're doing a place, and that's something, I mean, when you get really good chefs and sometimes restaurants don't succeed, I mean, sometimes it's because, I mean, chefs are very artistic and they have a kind of singular vision, but you need that to be backed up by... Uh, balance yeah a certain amount of concrete sense and like there's no <laughs> point in kind of just opening up something and going do you know this worked in new york we're going to do it we're going to do it in the middle of galway or westport and then all of a sudden you're going well we don't have the same customers and that's why isn't this working? yeah why isn't it working like we don't have that 1.2 million footfall um and that's something that i suppose we negotiate and when we did tartar uh, last year which is a kind of little cafe and wine bar um that kind of does oysters and tartar have like the 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 concept we expanded because initially I just wanted to do natural wine, oysters and tartare and Drigging was saying that'll be closed in about eight weeks uh, because no one's going to come in <laughs> and because Irish people are not going to eat raw beef or oysters and we might think we want to eat oysters but uh, I'm not going to go in and try it yeah, <laughs> yeah so then we kind of said well let's expand it to kind of maybe do a cafe with sourdough soups and sandwiches and we'll do we'll do a, a few people pleasers and then we'll do a little nighttime menu, a small plates, but we'll make sure that the oysters and tartare are at the forefront, but make sure that everyone else can come in as well. And, and I suppose, yeah, that's what we've done in, in, uh, 
in a in a, in all of our places, even with even with an ear. I mean, we don't go too extreme, and we still I still serve. I mean, everything that kind of comes from Ireland. We haven't gone too avant-garde. Like we haven't got haven't served ants yet or anything like that. Uh, Not yet. I as much as yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I did. I, we did do a little sample dish with buttermilk and ants and. I just did it for a few journalists and I was like, God, no, they know. If, they don't, if they're not into it and they're at the forefront of food, maybe the customers <laughs> maybe won't I get it. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Yeah, but no, I've, uh, ants, are, ants are a good thing to, uh, that I'd be interested in. You, really, you, really and, bear, lemony. you and Bear Grills. Yeah, really <laughs> lemony. I'd say they'd be great now on a, <laughs> on a grilled steak. But um, no, nah, so it, there's lots of, lots of thing, different things happening. I mean, I'm a big uh, uh, advocate of seaweed. and I suppose that's something that kind of goes through the Irish tradition and kind of in coastal communities it's maybe more used but it's used a lot in contemporary food practice around the world I think what the Japanese have done for me is really inspiring like they took this weed in the sea and they turned it into gold dust man and they, like, literally the Japanese cuisine is just revolves around seaweed and nori and shellfish and everything that we have has a culture and it's just it's interesting how one island turned I suppose turned towards the sea and <laughs> we turned towards the cows and yeah. <laughs> we have all the cows and we've uh, kind of gone for the seaweed as well now recently haven't we yeah I know I mean, there's definitely a turn and some of that is on the nutritional side because I mean it is really good for you it's full of vitamins minerals it's got like so much potassium and it's really good it's really easy to put in food so you're making a soup you can add seaweed you can make in a salad you can put seaweed you you can use it as an individual ingredient the way we do like with oysters or different pieces of fish where you really get the taste or then what we do in tartare, you fold you fold it in in milk form into a chocolate brownie, and pretty much you're there. You're getting just the nutritional aspect of it. So it um, it is a kind of it's a superfood. Uh, I, but I mean I love it because of its taste, and I think secondly because of the its nutritional value. I've gotten used to it as well recently. I, I don't I don't mind it as much as I thought I hated at the start because you know it's a seaweed at the start, and then yeah, when you do some nice things with it. You were saying a minute ago, so you have like the artistic visions. And then, like, your wife kind of reins you back in just uh, a little she, bit. Well, she, she's artistic as well. It's just uh, generally she's a bit more pragmatic. I mean, she's designed the three places, but at the same time, uh, she's probably not a, as much of a lunatic as I am. So <laughs> not trying to make kind of calls that are a little bit outlandish. <laughs> so she has a little, not a little bit of sense. Uh, a little bit, little and you're just like artistic head as just going. A little bit of going. sense and uh, just particularly with food on the edge. I mean... It, to even to suggest like to bring it flying in 50 international chefs into Ireland five years ago to kind of showcase Irish food I mean if you went to someone and said can you can you can you uh, can you fund that people would have said you're insane like and maybe that's I mean I suppose that's what it takes how it's did a, you fund it um, we we I suppose we got funding but we also we put a I put a lot of money in, into uh, into it ourselves from well, the restaurant yeah. and I suppose you got to take the chance yourself and that's why I feel there's probably more the Irish food industry can do for itself and I mean I think sometimes we're preoccupied on the ground kind of with the daily grind and making money but I think what we what we need to do and I think what the most successful restaurants need to do is reinvest that money to make better places or to make food better rather than as my wife says we could have had three homes in the south of France by now <laughs> and like maybe we could have had like one or two less homes in the south of France and like a better food culture back at home but then that's just me and I mean not, not everyone is going to appeal to that some people just want to work uh, save a few pound and then buy that little holiday home um, but unfortunately uh, your, just... your love of food triumphs basically yeah and, and it, I, I suppose because I think food uh, like Raval I suppose food keeps everything going I mean we eat three times a day we've never really thought about it kind of like culturally in Ireland I mean we, there was a small sphere of people thinking about it 
But like food was just a vehicle for nutrition, particularly when I was growing up. I mean, you sit down, you eat, then you finish your dinner, you know, go, go play or something. <laughs> and not like what I, that, that sense of, of food, the way the Italians have, when like, let's sit down, let's enjoy this food. It's a celebration. Yeah, maybe. let's chat. And, and, uh, and I think uh, like the food writer Michael Pollan says a lot of the world's problems could be solved <laughs> just by sitting around a table <laughs> eating, one eat, dish. eating food, you know? And, just, yeah. uh, and, and when you travel, the best way to get to know um, a culture is by is by is by eating, eating whether locally, that's a restaurant yeah. or uh, or going to some grandmother's house and, and eating something, <laughs> getting some lovely. Um, what's it like working with your wife? It's uh, it's um, colourful. Yeah, it's probably the great start. I mean, great, I'm yeah, happy to hear that. Colourful. <laughs> I mean, if it, if it was to go on yesterday, it was like difficult. What happened? Probably nine to uh, just the stress of the three restaurants, short staff at the moment, both on the floor and in. Uh, in the in the kitchen, we've got kind of outside catering coming uh, coming up because a lot of people have uh, like either weddings or barbecues during the summer, and they're booking booking up. We don't have enough staff. Yeah. I mean, you've new staff, and um, then you've got problems with those staff, and then it's it's just kind of like relentless. Then when someone has a bad experience, like like then they can just go online straight away and say, "Oh, oh I had this bad experience." Yeah, and it's you've got to, I suppose, try and be unemotional, but about that but unfortunately it's it's difficult and I still get emotional about uh, about uh, about things and sometimes we're wrong and sometimes they're wrong and like but uh, unfortunately most people think the customer is always right but that's not true that isn't uh, true I don't not at all uh, sometimes the customer is absolutely wrong <laughs> and uh, I'll, and we try and point that out when they <laughs> when they are but other times you hold your hand up and you say look yeah right. we we, uh, we we messed up we're we're sorry but I suppose it's just um it's the, yeah, I suppose the, the the level of assault that you can you can you can attack someone now is, is very easy. Like I mean, whether it's on Twitter, or it's I mean, too easy. or or TripAdvisor or or Facebook. And unfortunately, I mean, I don't even think people realise. We had, a, we had a, a woman a while ago who gave out about um, something she had had and uh, in the in the restaurant and um, and then but she had left and said everything was fine. So we just kind of sent her a message saying. Look, we're really sorry, but you could have let us know. And like this, like we're a, we're a family business. Like, and to be honest, this is like um, like uh, reviews like this kind of damage and I'm kind of upset us. Yeah. And then she wrote back and said, "Oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize um, uh, that that this would do that." So what was her point of this? So in the first yeah, I don't place? know. I think people like to take pictures and get angry and um, and say, "Look, this is what a, this is what happened." And like I would say, like, well, you just when you're when you're leaving the restaurant, just go look. There was something wrong with this dish, and we go, yeah, look, I'm really sorry. Like things happen. And you, I mean, we feed 400 people a night, um, and that's not going to be uh, 400 perfect um, perfect dishes. Or I mean, people have three three tapas. That could be 1,200 tapas <laughs> that you're that you're making. And that's so one thing could go wrong. On that's, that and that's the difference between I mean, cava and anir. Because in anir, we might feed 30 people, and they're having one tasting menu that's the same and you're doing the same dish over and over again and that's what Michelin is about it's about repetition consistency like making sure the product is exactly the same every time and that doesn't appeal to every chef some chefs like the buzz of feeding hundreds of people yeah. like almost like street food you know today's walk is situated on the wild Atlantic way make lasting memories on this unforgettable coastal touring route and enjoy breathtaking scenery to plan your short break on the wild Atlantic way head to the tales and trails hub in partnership with discover Ireland on loveon.ie in retrospect, one probably shouldn't work with their partner Don't or people pay. that you love. Um, like that's your. I mean, my, my brother, my two brothers used to be front of house, and that was probably even more 
like crazy energy because you'd have Alex running in here, Jerry running Cava, and then me and my, my wife on the floor, me in the kitchen. And you can imagine if a problem happens, you know? Like, so there was, yeah, there was a few moments sometimes where where people would walk out and you think they weren't coming back, but I suppose their family so they have nowhere else to go. So that's that's one of the good things. You can't go home after a long days of work and have yeah. a little bitch. Uh, but it does help. <laughs> and I think it did help the, the, the product as well in the sense that people would come in and they can relate to... Uh, uh, to you and if you're not there then your brother's there or, or something like that and uh, I think that's one of the downfalls of kind of independent businesses when when uh, the owner's not there and you go in and, and it's different and I think what's important and it's another kind of little tidbit for advice for people in the, in the industry or chefs is that it's like and they, I think it was my accountant it's probably the only thing that I ever agree with my accountant <laughs> actually said to me was that if you if your business doesn't run the same when you're not there you're doing something wrong Okay. And and that's very hard to hear when you're like some kind of passionate individual that says no. Yeah, like it's not going to work without me. And I think over the last couple of years, I've I've tried to delegate a bit more and and step back and say no. Maybe the guys need to run it this time, and I'll watch and then see that did anything happen. And yeah, I mean, of course you got to check in and that, and they want you to be there as well. But at the same time, I mean, it's 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 also about creating a legacy. And if I'm cooking 20 years or 25 years since I was 15, then like it is, it is a young man's game, you know. And it's probably something. Um, it's, I always think it's similar to, uh, particularly at, particularly at the level of Michelin. It's similar to like, like Premier League soccer, and everyone okay. understands the Premier League. Yeah. Because even if you don't like football, and like all of the players, like the, the key players, I mean, they're probably all like 18 to 22. Just stepped in something again. Yeah. Uh, watch it. <laughs> Yeah, and then like all of a sudden, like you're 25 and you're, he's getting old, and then 27, <laughs> God, he's, he's going to retire soon. He's done. And he's then there's finished. someone who's 32, and they're going, "What's your man doing?" He should be still? retired a long time ago. And I remember I was in Geranium, which is a three Michelin star restaurant, and the head chef was 25, and I was like 31, and they were like, "Here, Grandpa, come over here and give us a hand." And I honestly, the speed that they were at, and that's what you need at that level, and and so you do need if that's the only thing you can do then you need to try and change that system somehow because if everyone at 30, the same, suppose the same for rugby, is like you're semi-retired, what are you going to do after Where do that? you go? Yeah, and so. like I suppose being at the stove and cooking is really demanding and it is really physical and it's full on and you, you do have to, have to work out like what's... You can't stand there for the next 20 years and you're not going to be like 65 clung to that grill because I don't think like physically it's possible and so you need to think strategically and like how are you going to delegate to the younger guys and so um, put and your stamp on it now abs absolutely before you have to retire at the the good old age <laughs> the good old age well, I'm 40 I'm actually well done oh, on the you're grill done yeah. the really. you're not allowed to come back yeah, I'm actually like second division like one of the <laughs> lads one of the lads with a belly kind of coming on at half time 40, 45 minutes just to play for 15 you're minutes you're player manager that's yeah, what you are you're player manager player manager yeah uh, one thing that I think you're passionate about I, I, I agree with it wholeheartedly is uh, your sustainability. Um, I've read that you said that avocados are the blood diamond of Mexico, which to anyone listening that doesn't know a lot about it, it sounds so dramatic, but it's not. No, not at all. I mean, and like, I, I, always, I thought it was really surprising how that one statement went around the world. And I suppose you never know what, what you say and you're it's talking to journalists. And like, I suppose for a long, probably for four or five years, people have known that like the the rate that we eat avocados in in the West is not sustainable. Like we're like most of them are coming out of Mexico and Chile. I mean, forests are being cut down because the the locals know we need to plant avocados. 
Uh, the cartels have got involved in um, in Mexico at various places. To uh, yeah. Uh, cartels have got involved because there's so much money in avocados and so I literally just said like they, they have been described I don't even think I came up with the phrase <laughs> and all of a sudden it was, my, it was like your you, yeah, it was like you said this and then it was like the Spiegel in Germany were looking for an interview with playing Australia and Poland and I was like where is this going and it's like I heard you took avocados off your menu people are following you and I was like I, was like, I don't want to be like Mr. Avocado I, I don't want to be the, the spokesperson for this and um but it, it, it does, I suppose, encapsulate. Two restaurants in Galway now have, have taken avocados off their menu because of what I Your said. Statement. Yeah, no, I suppose that's a, that's a good thing in the sense that I kind of directed them to look up what the, the stuff that I had kind of read. And like, it, it is, I mean, you can get great avocados from the south of Spain. I mean, and that's, it's not that all avocados are bad. And it's that, it, and it also depends on where you are. I mean, you're in the middle, middle of California. You have loads of avocados because they make they produce them there. But people were writing writing to me on Facebook like serious hate mail. Like I didn't say I got a death threat, but um, but my wife said if I open the door and there's a Mexican outside, you're dealing with him. Because <laughs> there was a couple of very angry Mexicans. Um, but at the same time, some guy I skyped some some um, uh, ecologist guy in Chile, and actually for, he was probably the only person in Chile that agreed with me and said, yeah, he he said there's a lot of. Um, locals kind of pushing on with the avocados and that it's it's all being exported like the same you've got the same problem with quinoa that like the locals don't get to eat it because it's worth such value and that was probably the same for us hundreds of years ago with beef because beef was worth so much and everyone thinks that the irish ate beef all and we didn't we exported all butter as well like so beef and butter exported like so people literally reared it and lived on milk and oats and everything so it's it, it's the kind of same problem kind of being uh, been uh, been repeated continually Coming back around full Absolutely. cycle. So you've taken out of your restaurant or some of them out of your restaurants. Um, in in Cabo was the only place we used them, and and and, and we didn't have them on in tartare for the brunch, and we did it. We did a um, uh, we did a different dish, but it was funny with the ringing. So you don't use them in an ear, and I was like, no, no, we only use Irish ingredients. No, no, I'm not interested in that. You don't use avocados <laughs> in an ear. It's your mission star restaurant. I was like, no, 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 I've never used them. Yeah, the whatever. <laughs> and they'd leave that bit out of the of the transcript, and so then people would be ringing, going, you don't serve avocados in an ear. I said. I know, I told them. I was trying to grow them in the back garden, but it just wouldn't work. Absolutely. And uh, people constantly, even think this morning, one of the guys sent me an avocado joke. I just keep getting the avocado Constant. jokes That's sent you to me. Now. Yeah, you are, yeah. You're the ringleader for avocado. I swear, yeah. And they're, and they're really popular in Denmark as well. I have a lot of chef friends there. And they were like, you've upset a lot of people here. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, it was like, there's a Mexican girl as well. And I was like, I didn't, I'm, tell I'm her I'm sorry. Tell I'm her I'm so sorry. sorry. Yeah, yeah. This is such a stereotypical question. But I have to ask a chef. So you're on death row for yeah. smuggling in avocados. Okay. What's your death row meal? That's it is an easy one, and it might surprise you. It's going to be like spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> what? I know. I have like, spaghetti bolognese is my go-to comfort satisfaction. No it's the kind of it's the dish that that turned me into a chef in the sense that. I have a like ab absolutely average upbringing. Like I did not grow up in a five-star hotel or in a mission-star restaurant. And I remember being in a, in, a, in a hotel in Tipperary on holidays because everyone holidayed in Ireland in the 1980s. And we, everyone was having burgers and chips. And I just looked at the menu and I said to my mom, I'm going to have the spaghetti bolognese. And she was like, you're not, you're not going to eat that. Just it's foreign. It's not from here. It's and, and, and I said, no, no, I want to try it. And I still remember this, this huge big lump of parsley on top of it. It was the first time I've ever seen parsley. And I ate it and I was like, that is the most amazing. I think it was the first time 
time I felt pleasure around food as opposed to just eating something that wasn't ice cream that you just eat and then you're done and I ate it and the first job I ever worked in when I was 15 then was an Italian restaurant and yeah I'm I, I still I to this day to this day and I'd still would I uh, hopefully I have an Italian restaurant in me of course it'll be organic sustainable of probably course. make no money yeah of as, course. as my <laughs> wife says you'll ruin it you'll ruin it with your sustainability <laughs> ideas because we'll make money and then you'll waste it all uh, no, she's not she's not as bad as that but she does say um very good at uh, yeah spreading the money around finding some local farmer whose chickens are four times the price to to help him and she's like what about our house in the south of Spain and I was like ah that, we'd be grand it, we, we, we have one in Galway we, you don't need the sun you can look at Netflix you know <laughs> JP it's been an absolute pleasure no, no thank cheers. you so much thank you very much on. man cheers appreciate it cheers the body loop is far from the only walk in Wild Neff and Ballycroy National Park the Claggan Mountain Boardwalk is a gentle one kilometre boardwalk route stretching to the sea across the bog and returns along that serene seashore, a two kilometre looped walk in total. Meanwhile, the Bangor Trail, nudging the foot of the beautiful sleeve car, leads you through the Neffenbeg mountain range on a remarkable route, dating back to the 16th century. It's a hefty 40 kilometres if you're hardy enough to follow it from Bangor to Newport. Perfect for very experienced walkers up for a challenge. The Tales and Trails hub in partnership with Discover Ireland is a bounty of information on the best walks all around the country for your next short break. From the spectacular Wild Atlantic Way to the serene beauty of Ireland's hidden heartlands, the epic Ireland's ancient east or the surprises of Dublin, you're sure to find a walking break to suit you and your family. Just the break you're looking for. Make sure to share your trail photos using the hashtag Loving Tales and Trails. Tales and Trails podcast is in partnership with Discover Ireland. Learn more about exploring the best walks of Ireland's Wild Atlantic Way at lovin.ie forward slash tales and trails. Walking makes your break. It's always important to be respectful of the wildlife and surrounding environment, so make sure to leave the trail as you found it. Visit leavenotraceireland.org for more information.